I've gone within a space of an hour of shaking Pauline Hanson's hand dressed in a burqa to shaking George Brandis's hand for one of the greatest speeches I've ever seen in Parliament. And I spontaneously clapped and stood up instantly. Is it on? Look, I'm going to shirt front, Mr Putin. I will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. I will not. No, wait, it, it is on? Uh, you bet you are. Uh, you bet I am. I don't like it. Oh, fair shake of the sauce bottle, mate. Well, may we say God save the Queen. Because nothing will save the Governor-General. Hello and welcome to episode 18 of BuzzFeed Australia's political podcast, Is It On? My name is Alice Workman and sitting across from me in Canberra in the cooked place that is Parliament House (laughs) is Mark DiStefano. Mark, I've come up with an idea for a children's book. It's about a tomato who finds out he's actually a kiwi fruit. Um, It's about acceptance and friendship, but it's also about treason. <laughs> you are so cooked, Alice. <laughs> um, uh, gr- great book idea. I'm, I'm sure you're referring to our incredibly red-faced Barnaby Joyce, our, our Deputy Prime Minister. He's had probably one of the best weeks you could have had. He comes out as a secret citizen. <laughs> he alleges a secret plot to bring him down, coming from Australia. It's just insane. And uh, hello to any New Zealanders listening out there um, who I feel like I should apologise to on behalf of Australia because I think we've been a bit racist and mean towards Kiwis this week. Yeah. There's been a lot of me no raki uh, and chops work. Yeah, and a lot of Kia Auras and, <laughs> Kia Aura, and, and a lot of Hacker. Hacker La Vista. Hacker La Vista. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge show this week though, Alice. We should really get down to it because there's too much to get to get across in um, in a sitting week. Um, we're going to chat to Greens Senator Peter Wish-Wilson in a second about that really absurd stunt that Pauline Hanson uh, pulled this week that really, I mean, it was a, a photo that went viral and went around the world. So we're going to talk to him because he actually shook Pauline Hanson's hand thinking that she was a protester. She was a, a, a protester in a burqa, yeah. Also, I sat down for a chat with Liberal Senator Erica Betts who said that if... Same-sex marriage was legalised in Australia. It could lead to people marrying the Harbour Bridge. Uh, Mark, <laughs> if you could marry a landmark, which one would it be? Um, Tower Bridge? No, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Because <laughs> I like the way it leans. <laughs> I also want to say a very big thank you to everyone for putting up with the horrific technical issues that we had last week. And I wanted to flag, we might have some more of this work cool. <laughs> so thank you in advance for uh, sticking with us. But let's crack into this week's Fast Five. And surprise, surprise, number one is, you have got to be kidding me. <laughs> Our Deputy Prime Minister is a Kiwi. Uh, or should I say he was a Kiwi? He was a Kiwi. Because he renounced his New Zealand citizenship he didn't know he had this week. So it turns out Barnaby Joyce's father was a New Zealander who came to Australia in the 40s before New Zealand citizenship rules were written, and Barnaby Joyce himself was born in Australia. But the New Zealand citizenship laws that were written after clearly state that the children of any New Zealand citizens are automatically citizens. So Barnaby Joyce gets up first thing Monday morning, Parliament House, and says, I am, a, I am in fact, a Kiwi, <laughs> and I am referring myself to the High Court, and so the High Court are going to have an emergency sitting next week to start the proceedings But Barnaby Joyce said he will not stand down as Deputy Prime Minister or resign from his seat of New England and force a by-election. Now, this is all to do with the Constitution, which apparently no one has read. (laughs) 
Anyway, everything went a little bit uh, Kiwi-shaped, which is a pun on pear-shaped, uh, when Foreign Minister Julie Bishop You're out of control decided the best strategy was to accuse the Labor Party in Australia of collusion with the New Zealand Labor Party to unveil this dual citizenship thing because it was Penny Wong's chief of staff, who is a Kiwi, mm. who asked someone in the New Zealand Labor Party to put in some hypothetical questions about citizenship to the New Zealand government. Julie Bishop then accused the Labor Party of treason <laughs> for colluding with a foreign power. Remember, we are talking about New Zealand here, Mark. We're talking about New Zealand, foreign power New Zealand. Anyway, then, because this story wasn't great enough, Amber Heard, who, of course, famously was forced by Barnaby Joyce to make that amazing video with mm, her, then, the apology. her then husband, Johnny Depp, after they illegally brought their dogs, Pistol and Boo, into the country. We should have killed those dogs. She tweeted. Did you say we should have killed those dogs? <laughs> I've said it before. I'll say it again. <laughs> what's, your, what's your basis for that claim? They illegally brought them in. It is a biosecurity risk. We should have put them on a stage and made everyone come and watch and killed them on live TV and streamed it around the world and said, take us seriously. Anyway, um, she Amber Heard tweeted, when Barnaby Joyce said no one is above the law, I didn't realise he meant New Zealand law. <laughs> Lol, lol, lol. Zing, zing, zing. <laughs> and then she tweeted, to comfort Mr. Joyce in his hour of need, I have sent him a box of New Zealand's finest Kiwi feud, brackets, assuming this passes his biosecurity laws. I feel as though there's a PR girl somewhere that's actually drafted that. That's a really good tweet. It's very clever. It's so clever. It's very clever. Finally, to top the whole thing off, minutes before, and I mean literally minutes before the Senate rose for its two-week break, Deputy Nationals leader Fiona Nash said that she'd asked the UK Home Office and it turns out that she might be a UK citizen by descent because her dad was born in Scotland. She will also be referring herself to the High Court. So this makes her number six in the politicians referred to the High Court over their citizenship issues. Larissa Waters, Scott Ludlam, Malcolm Roberts, Matt Canavan, Joyce and Nash. She's the third national I ran into a national senator minutes after she'd done this. They didn't even know that she was announcing it. And they said, well, obviously, this is crazy. There is a huge problem here. We need to do something about it. Are you doing? And the Prime Minister's people were walking around the gallery last night telling journalists subtly uh, to point out that there have been no Liberals that have been caught up in this citizenship scandal so far, but three nationals. So, Mark... There you go. What's number two? Number two is the change the date um, furor around Australia Day. A debate was actually raging about this earlier this week. You may have missed it in, within all of the Secret Citizens and the Pauline Hanson Burka stuff, but the Yarra City Council in Melbourne voted this week to did no you, longer refer... Did you say Melbourne? Yeah, Melbourne, because that's what people in Melbourne call it. They do. Melbourne. They, do. Uh, they voted this week to no longer refer to January 26 as Australia Day. What they wanted to replace was um, actually moving their citizenship ceremonies and celebrations with an event marking the loss of Indigenous culture. Importantly to remember about this is that the council itself is like Greens dominated. It's a very lefty mm. council. The Prime Minister, Malcolm Turnbull, got up and repeated what he has said in the past, that the government will not change the date of Australia Day, though, because it's out of step with national values. And he actually did it in a really interesting way where he called for a... Um, a matter of indulgence before question time. So he didn't actually need to even talk about this, but he, he wanted to make sure that the government was on the front foot. Mm. And Bill Shorten then got up and said, well, I actually don't support changing the date either, which got a few people on lefty Twitter a little bit upset. Mm. But he has said that in the future, maybe if we were to become a republic, we sh 
should change the Australia Day to that date when we become a republic. Yeah, so right. then the federal in, is that in the first 100 days of him forming government? Yeah, first 100 days, Bill Shorten. And then the federal government goes one step further, and if this couldn't get even weirder, strips the local council of its power to hold citizenship ceremonies at all because they were polarizing citizenship. So the government are committed to ensuring that citizenship is treated as a non-commercial, apolitical, bipartisan, and secular manner. Alice, what's number three? Okay, this is an update on the postal survey that we had to have. So we found out this week that you need to be 18 by August 24, which is the date, uh, the deadline of updating your enrolment details or enrolling to vote for the first time, in order to vote. So normally in federal elections, it's if you turn 18 by the time of the vote, but this is not a federal election that is not being run by the AEC, so the rules are different. Also, anyone that says that the government stuffed up and 16 and 17-year-olds can vote is wrong. They can't. <laughs> Please don't at me. I don't want to get involved. Just tell your friends. Also, your vote needs to be received by the 7th of November for it to be counted. They won't count anything that arrives after 6pm, November 7. So, what does this mean for overseas voters? (laughs) Mark, we don't know. (laughs) Uh, But we do know that Australia Post do not have the capacity to send all the ballots out in one day. So, they'll have to send them out over a period of time, maybe a few weeks. But how does this account for mail going back and forth overseas? We do not know But the ABS did say today Mm. that people could have a paperless voting option. So uh, phone, online or text, but we don't have the details on that yet either. They're also still working on remote Indigenous community voters who don't have reliable posts there too. But what we do know is that the ABS only found out about this postal survey the day before the government announced they were going to do it. So that was the day that they had that uh, late night Liberal Party meeting. Um, The ABS said they've got 40 people working on it, but it's likely to go up to a few hundred. And they've said, do not put glitter in your envelope. Your ballot could be destroyed, but you can draw on your ballot. Decorate it. You can draw on your ballot as long as your vote is legibly clear, which is the same rules in a federal election. So if you want to draw a dick and balls or if you want to draw love hearts or rainbows or whatever you want to draw, Kevin Mm. Andrews and his friends, his cycle mates. Um, Kevin Andrews said this week that uh, he compared people in same-sex romantic relationships to the relationships he has with I his cycling buddies. I cannot believe that that, 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 that was this apparently. week. Very affectionate. Anyway, uh, so yes, so you can draw Kevin Andrews and his cycle friends on your ballot as long as your vote is clearly legible, but it is a risk that you have to take. Your vote could be found invalid. Uh, but just like elections, they're going to have scrutinies there to kind of weigh these up when they see them. But we also found out this week that because the postal survey was so rushed, the ballots are only in English and they haven't prepared literature for ESL speakers. So if you're an English as a second language voter, you'll be put on a three-way call with an interpreter and someone from the ABS to get instructions on how to vote. Crazy. Crazy. Our colleague Lane Sainty has done an amazing post with every question about the plebiscite. We have answers for so far and some obviously that we don't if you have any questions please send them to her or you can send them to me and i'll pass them on to her um we're also going to do an ama a facebook live uh about the postal survey on wednesday at 3 30 p.m on our facebook page so hit us up with all the questions you have hopefully we'll be able to answer them what is number four number four alice is a gem of a story i mean what does australian pol- what has australian politics done in a previous life to deserve this beautiful rich tapestry of stories, as I like to call it. A month or so ago, Annika Smethurst writes this story, right, for the Sunday Murdoch Papers about Tasmanian Senator Jackie Lambie's former media advisor who writes this letter to the Prime Minister when he left her office with a whole list of complaints about Lambo. 
But one of them was that she talked about sex all the time and took her staff shopping to a sex shop. So Samantha Maiden, former podcast uh, guest, on Sky News earlier this week, asked her about it. And I tell you what, I just want you to play the audio because it's just so great. If the staff, if there is a reason rather than me standing outside because I'm too prunish to walk in them. Prunish or prudish? Prudish, sorry. Prudish. Brutish uh, to do that. Um, I just don't think I, I, I'm not embarrassed to walk inside them. They, you know, they employ local people. They do the right thing. There's nothing wrong with asking any business how they're going in the local area. But from what I know about Jackie Lambie, she likes a man with a package between his thighs. Yeah, I mean, she said that. <laughs> I mean, don't don't take this out of the podcast because she said it. Yep. And what's number five? Okay, number five. Well, in the week that the Trump administration listed Pauline Hanson's One Nation Party a threat to religious freedom. In a new report, and of course, there are riots happening over in Charlottesville in the United States. The Australian Senate agreed uh, to One Nation's request to debate banning the burqa. Now, it wasn't a vote on whether we should actually legalise or change the law in any way. It was just a, they just wanted to, they wanted the debate, and then they voted down the motion that followed it. But in a bit of what I guess you could call a forward sizzle to that debate, <laughs> One Nation leader Pauline Hanson decided to pull a stunt. Now, One Nation, as we know, no stranger to stunts. We've talked about it in the past. They're very cunning in their media strategy and their ability to coverage for what they're saying and they're doing. But this kind of took things to a whole new level, I'd say. Um, I was in the Senate for Question Time when Pauline Hanson walked in wearing a full-length face-covering black burqa. And I just want to say this is actually really interesting because you were one of the only journalists that were in that was actually in the press two. gallery. There were two of us in there. There yeah. was two of you. No one goes to send a question. And time. like, and so, and this is something that probably people don't know, um, listeners at home, is that there are two question times on at the same time. One's in the Senate, one's in the House, and most of the journos and nearly all of them go to the House of Reps because that's where the Prime Minister is, mm. and that's where probably the and it's the one that's shown on on live TV. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. It, it, it's quite a packed press gallery for question time in the House of Reps, but in in the Senate, it goes largely on unnoticed. So that's mm. why it was so strange that I was in the House of Reps and I see these tweets from you being like, Senator Hanson has just walked in in a burqa. And I just lost it. I just, I thought it was just, it was just incredible. So you were like ringside when all this was happening. Yeah. And all I could do was look around and think, there are no snappers here. Yeah, there are no photographers. And then all of a sudden... So she walked in. Uh, she walked in, and you could hear people audibly gasp, and 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 someone you can hear on the tape says, "What the hell?" And there was just shock and confusion on all the senators, like mouths open from the government. But I have to emphasize, not a look of disgust at the burqa being worn, but a look of disgust at Hanson over what she was doing. And I tell you what, she sat down and waited for her, uh, the question that she was going to ask. And it was five minutes of just kind of silence in the chamber. And, and there's this, and then this woman the in a media, just sitting And the there. media like just swarmed in. And then they started cackling. The One Nation senators saw the media scrambling to take the photos and they started cackling. The whole thing was meant to be about national security. She later told 2GB that as she walked from her office to the chamber, she wasn't asked to confirm her identity by anyone and no one asked her to reveal her face. But it turns out maybe security did walk her from her office there. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the president of the Senate was asked why she was allowed to sit there in a burqa and Stephen Parry said that he had confirmation that it was her and he's previously ruled that senators can wear whatever they want in the chamber as long as it's not advertising or it's pyjamas or it's some kind of costume. 
So uh, she wasn't breaking any rules, but the rules could potentially change. Mm. Um, so, uh, so she pulls off the burqa to ask her question to George Brandis, and this is what the Attorney General said in reply. Senator Hanson, no, we will not be banning the burqa. Now, Senator Hanson, I am not going to pretend to ignore the stunt that you have tried to pull today by arriving in the chamber dressed in a burqa when we all know that you are not an adherent of the Islamic faith. And I would caution you and counsel you, Senator Hanson, with respect to be very, very careful of the offence you may do to the religious sensibilities of other Australians. We have about half a million Australians in this country of the Islamic faith. And the vast majority of them are law-abiding, good Australians. And it, Senator Hanson, it is absolutely consistent with being a good, law-abiding Australian and being a strict, adherent Muslim. Now, Senator Hanson, for the last four years, I have had responsibility preeminently among the ministers, subject to the Prime Minister for national security policy. And I can tell you, Senator Hanson, that it has been the advice of each Director General of Security with whom I have worked and each Commissioner of the Australian Federal Police with whom I have worked that, that it is vital for their intelligence and law enforcement work that they work cooperatively with the Muslim community and to ridicule that community to drive it into a corner, to mock its religious garments, is an appalling thing to do. And I would ask you to reflect on what you have done. Order. 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 Brandis was visibly upset. Yeah. He was on the verge of tears. After his speech, he got a standing ovation from the Labor Party and the Greens and Lucy Gachui. There were no other crossbenchers there. And the chamber kind of united behind his condemnation of what Pauline Hanson had done and on how he'd shown leadership by ripping at her threads over it. I mean, it's pretty rare to see Labor and the Greens and the Liberals all kind of unite together. Also, like, like cheering on George Brandis. Mm. Like, like, he is very much public enemy number one for people like the Greens. Yeah, but in a very strange twist to this story, uh, Green Senator Peter Wish-Wilson played a tiny role, um, but rather than tell you ourselves, literally an hour after it happened, he stopped by our office to kind of tell us in a therapy session. This is an amazing story. So firstly, total utter bullshit. There was no security guards there. No, I... she said there was security, but no one uh, yeah, spoke right. to her okay. or asked her to show her face. Yeah, well, but the, she said she walked past the security. The president said he cleared her, like he, he checked mm. her identity and gave the all clear to go in, so... Look, he's the president of the Senate. He's the head of the security organism that is uh, Parliament House and the Senate. So he gave it the OK. Um, that's why That's why she came into the chamber. But look, you know, I was walking to go to question time. I see a, you know, a woman in, in full Muslim dress and in burqa surrounded by five burly security guards who looked really pissed off. And my initial reaction was, was anger and, you know, a bit of frustration, like, what the hell? Uh, so, Thinking that she was. Well, what a are these protester. guys doing? Yeah, what are these guys? Why are they following? Uh, you know, why are they following a woman in a burqa, who's who's allowed to be in that dress in Parliament House? 
This all happened really quickly. So I was, I was either have a go at the security guards, which is not the right thing to do because they're just doing their job, uh, or show some solidarity. So I went up to her and I said, good on you, and put my hand out. And, you know, it was just an instant thing. I didn't think about it. It was my way of, you know, coming to her, coming to her aid, I suppose as a bloke, you know, seeing five other big burly blokes following her around. I thought she was a protester when she was doing it and she was getting, it, it looked like she was getting harassed. She described so, it on, on radio as you putting your hand out to, to, to shake Islam's hand in solidarity. I was, I was definitely in solidarity with someone coming in wearing what they, they're entitled to wear and when you see them being pursued by security guards, you know, that's, that's a bit weird. Yeah. No, I'm totally weirded out by it. Um, after it happened, I thought that was odd that she actually did shake my hand uh, and I hadn't thought it through. I was just a spontaneous reaction to show some solidarity um, and, yeah, I, was, I, feel, I feel really creeped out now, actually. I've, I've gone within a space of an hour of shaking Pauline Hanson's hand dressed in a burqa in Parliament House on what I think was getting preparing for one of the lowest stunts in, in this, and we've seen a few stunts in this place, one of the lowest stunts and lowest moments in this you know, Parliament's history, to shaking George Brandis's hand an hour later for one of the greatest speeches I've ever seen in Parliament. And I spontaneously clapped and stood up instantly. Mm, and, 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 and the Labor Party stood Labor up. Did and, we all, yeah, yeah, we did. So, yeah. you know, it was just the weirdest, trippiest experience. Like, what was it like on the on the floor when she was – I was in the, pre, in the press gallery, but what did it feel like on the floor? You could hear someone well, say, what the hell? And yeah, people yeah, shocked well, and gasping. And so once again, my, my, my perspective is, is probably, I felt even weirder because I had just encountered her in the corridor and shook, shaken her hand and congratulated her to seeing her walk in the chamber. And what I was saying to my fellow Senator Nick McKim, I was saying, McKim, there's a woman out there in, in full, full burqa and, and, and Islamic dress uh, being pursued by five security guards. Let's go out there now and you know, ask them what's going on. And just as he was literally getting off his seat, she walked into the chamber. I thought... All right, okay, I get it now. I felt like a bit of a goose, but you know. So you actually didn't exchange words with her. No, no, no. So she actually she could have just said, "Oh, Senator, it's it's me, Paul." She could have said that. She could have she lifted did. the veil, and, and then and up behind the five security guards yeah. was uh, one of her acolytes, uh, another Brian senator, Burstyn. Mr. Burstyn, uh, yeah. Senator Burston. Do you think that so, there's a concern then? I mean, it can't that your interaction with her maybe even makes her point that. It's a security issue because you didn't even know who she was. But you know what? I, I, I wasn't threatened by her. Well, yeah. I, I, that's, that's the point, I think, here. Uh, I, I wasn't threatened by her. I, I, I went up to her and said, you know, good on you, good day. Like I wanted to let her know that I didn't mind her being there. I wasn't threatened by her and it was all, it was all okay. Yeah. Um, no, because very odd. I don't know why the security guards were following her from her office to the chamber, but I can tell you they didn't look very happy about it. Mm. So they're either happy about unhappy about the security risk, is what I assumed, but actually they're probably unhappy because they're having to follow a senator doing a pathetic, dangerous stunt. I mean, it's been a weird week. It's it's kind of gone from Twilight Zone a few weeks ago with the start of all the citizenship crisis with you know Scott and Larissa, and to yeah, to just feeling like it's lost in space at the moment. Nobody, all sorts of weird things are happening in this place. And I've spoken to some people who've worked here for many, many decades who've said they've never seen anything like this before. So I think at the end of a, bu a busy, strange couple of weeks uh, where we literally have a government on the edge of you know, political oblivion, depending on what happens with elections and, and citizenship, um, and then we have this, this, this stunt pulled in 
in, you know, the last afternoon of Parliament, um, I think people were like just going, what the fuck? Yeah, it's not often like, you see uh, the whole chamber unify in the way that they did. When, and it was uh, spontaneous. It really mm. was. Like, I mean, you know, none of us, have, all of us have made, uh, you know, well, I've got to put this the right way. All of us have, have taken on Brandis over some really serious issues, things we disagree with around, even around national security and their anti-terrorism laws, stuff that we felt have deprived, uh, you know, us of our, of our rights. Uh, it's been, there's been some really serious debates that Brandis has been involved in and to actually get up and give him a standing ovation and then shake his hand afterwards, it was a very spontaneous thing. Mm. He actually said what I think all of us were thinking and, and, and for the Attorney General to show some leadership and say that actually what you've done is potentially going to undermine the work of our security agencies uh, who are you know, working on de-radicalisation programs, uh, I think was, um, it, was, it, was, it was long overdue. And it was, a, it, was, it was a moment in the Senate, um, the likes of which we'll never see again. I don't think I'll ever be congratulating George Brandis again, let alone shaking his hand. And I hope to hell I never shake Pauline Hanson's hand again while she's wearing a burqa. It, he looked like he was uh, quite upset um, and he, he nearly cried. He nearly like he, cried. He was, his voice was yeah. breaking up. Um, his face was just on the verge of tears. He was really, really angry. Mm. And, and, and good on him for showing some emotion. I think, you know, we, we often don't do enough of it and we've got to be very careful about showing emotion sometimes because you can't necessarily get your message across the way you want to. But I think that's what was needed at a time like this. We were, we were, we were so upset about the fact that the world will be looking at this tonight. If they're not already, and this reflects so badly on us and our institution, we got um, we got her measure, and and Brandis led that charge. And mm. to his credit, good on him. But do you think that do you think that in many ways the Senate got played as well? Like, did Pauline just played you all? Because like, I mean, she's getting the attention. She's that got the she, attention. I think she's wants. got the reaction. That that image of her. Yeah. I mean, that will be seen around. It's already gone viral. Yeah. Um, and there's a Green senator who has been sort of tricked in many ways into coming up and shaking her hand. You were trying to sh- show some solidarity yeah. to a woman who you didn't know but was being circled by security guards. It kind of feels as though that she won. You know, she just did, she, she yeah. got what she wanted. Look, I think um, in, in this day and age, and, I, and I'm going to pass the ball back to you guys, yeah. uh, if anyone's promoting what she's doing in there, it's the media. Yeah. Uh, look, we're, we're there to do our job. And it's really we know that as soon as she walks in there, and, and she's cleared that presumably with a, the head of the the president of with the Senate. Stephen Parry, the it's going to be broadcast around the world within minutes. You know, certainly mm. within hours. And you have to make a statement. You absolutely have to. If you you guys know, if you leave a vacuum, yeah, someone else is going to fill it, and it's the worst possible hatred that's going to fill it. So no, absolutely, we needed to make a statement. And um, you know, I think um, the. One thing I can tell you, and I was actually having a discussion over a beer last night uh, with a, a friend of mine who lives here in Canberra, he, he was saying that people are sick of the politics of conflict and they actually want to see politicians working with each other, even occasionally congratulating each other and acknowledging the good work that often gets done in here that no, we never talk about. Well, today, uh, across party lines, you saw the Senate come together on behalf of the majority of the Australian people and make a statement that her kind of behaviour is not going to be accepted or tolerated. Actually, I'm really yeah. proud of our response. Is, is there a One Nation presence in Tasmania? Not really. Um, interestingly enough, they had a Senate candidate who came pretty close to getting in, pretty close. And had they got that Senate candidate up, it would have affected their st- party status. It would have got more funding. Mm. Um, so that, that candidate, I can't remember her name, she was competing with Nick McKim for the last spot. 
So, you know, you, you, we've ended up getting this champion for multiculturalism into the Senate, uh, but we came really close to having a one-nation senator. But then I've never heard anything about them since, and they certainly haven't run mm. at state level. So Is that because uh, Jackie, Jackie Lambie, Lambie splits yeah. the vote? Yeah, well, they still did pretty well in the Senate, so they got it on top of uh, Jackie Lambie. But, yeah, I would say she, she she would split their vote. I mean, she's got issues with burkas as well, as you know. So. Mm. Mm, she, I'm pretty sure she wants to ban them too. Yeah, um, was right. Jackie in the chamber? No. No, she wasn't. No, no she wasn't. Neither was the Xenophon. T- well, I mean, obviously no one was told, so no one was, no one was there. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, well, I certainly wasn't told, you know. Mm. Otherwise, I wouldn't have shaken her hand. <laughs> oh, God. Huh. What a shit situation. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel so sorry for you. <laughs> you just well, got, you like, guys have helped. You've helped me, you know, you helped me by... This is a therapy. Taking this national, yes. you know, now I'm going to... Go people people can give me their advice if they want. Like, yeah. I'm happy to take advice from anyone. Who, yeah. As as you are at uh, Surfer Senate or Senator Surfer? Senator Surfer. At Senator yeah, Surfer. At, 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 at Senator, Senator Surfer, Surfer on Twitter. Uh, hit Peter Wishwilson up. Peter Wishwilson, thank you so much for My having pleasure. a therapy session with BuzzFeed News today. With you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> that was Green Senator Peter Wishwilson there uh, telling us about the crazy long week he has had in Australian Parliament Shaking Pauline Hanson's hand while she wore a burqa. Shaking George Brannis's hand. What a time. There's just too much. There's secret Kiwi citizen, burqas in parliament, sex toys. It's just, it's, it's too much. There's too much going on. But fans of the Harbour Bridge are going to enjoy the next interview. <laughs> That's right. This week I sat down with Liberal Senator for Tasmania, Eric Abetz, who plans to campaign for the no side of the upcoming same-sex marriage plebiscite. Now, just a pre-warning. Something happens in the middle of this interview. There's some forward sizzle for you. Eric Abetz, thank you so much for joining us here at BuzzFeed News. Good to be on BuzzFeed News. <laughs> Do you? Uh, I know one time you did stand up for BuzzFeed by saying, not even BuzzFeed me- misrepresented me. Uh, I didn't realise that you'd be a fan of our, of our website. Oh, well, look... Um In this game, you've got to ensure that you're across all the media outlets and BuzzFeed is one of them. And uh, on that particular day, I was very across what BuzzFeed did because they got it absolutely right. Oh, saved that quote. (laughs) Um, Now, as someone that's gone through the citizenship renunciation process yourself, surely you must be feeling for what Barnaby Joyce's has been through this week. I feel for anybody that has to go through this process, I feel particularly for Barnaby Joyce and Matt Canavan, because I think for those of us, like myself, who were born overseas, you are on notice about the potential of not being an Australian citizen, having to become an Australian citizen, shedding any dual citizenship. But, gee, if you were born in Australia... What would ever make you think that you might have Italian or New Zealand citizenship? Mm. So uh, I think the wisdom of Solomon will be needed by the High Court in uh, their determination as to how these matters should be determined. Do you feel a bit sorry for Senator Canavan given that he stepped down from his portfolios but the Deputy Prime Minister has managed to stay in his? I can see the concern that some people have expressed, but in fairness, in the Matt Canavan situation, it appears as though somebody, bracket his mother, end of bracket, (laughs) took a proactive step to obtain the alleged Italian citizenship, whereas in Barnaby Joyce's situation, no proactive step was taken at all. And I don't think many people who have a 
father that was born in New Zealand would in any way, shape or form think that they, by virtue of that fact, were a New Zealand citizen. So a New Zealand citizen, yeah. So uh, I think that is a, a material difference between the two cases. Uh, given the revelations we found out this week about uh, the Labor, a staffer of Penny Wong from the Labor Party providing New Zealand Labor with some information to ask a question, do you think that there is a case to be made that uh, further investigation should be happening into Penny Wong? Should we be looking at potentially treason has been thrown around? Look, uh, the Senate uh, had a vote earlier today on that uh, to censure Penny Wong. That motion failed. And I think overall... The Australian people want the parliament not to debate these issues, but to talk about how can we reduce the cost of energy? How can we provide job security? How are we preparing the nation for the future? So, for example, the uh, great work that Matt Canavan was doing for the development of Northern Australia, they're the sort of things that the Australian people want us as their elected representatives to work on rather than uh, say, well, you were born in New Zealand and, you know, your father, etc. Um, I just don't think that the Australian people want us to dig into those matters too deeply because they're concerned about balancing their household budget. Mm. So you don't think it passes the pub test? S sorry, the... Oh, debating the, the nonsensities of citizenship. Uh, I think uh, the technical issues do need to be dealt with and mm. that is why they've been referred to the High Court but above and beyond that for the Labor Party to exhaust question time with question after question about these matters I don't think excites the interest of the uh, average Australian. Okay, on to the postal survey. Do you think that uh, the legislation should be uh, decided on before the postal survey votes go out because uh, Matthias Cormans indicated that uh, they won't uh, there won't be a decision on on which bill to vote on until after we get the result. Just so, do you think people should be able to see what the legislation says before they vote? In an ideal world, possibly that uh, would be the case, but there will be a lot of issues that will need to be discussed uh, in relation to the consequences. So. Uh, um, this has all come about, I think, a bit quicker than we otherwise would have wanted and uh, the Parliament has rejected a postal ballot, so we're off to this uh, survey and we'll see what the Australian people say. But I think once the Australian people understand the consequences of taking, in effect, the gender out of marriage, that the concept of motherhood and fatherhood being vital components of a child's socialisation, when those sorts of things become apparent, I think a lot of Australians will say, whilst we may have been supportive in principle, we can see the flow-on consequences, and as a result, I think there'll be a lot stronger no vote than some people are anticipating. Are you anticipating the no vote will win? I am hoping the no vote will win. I'll be campaigning heavily for the no vote to win uh, to protect the next generation. So when, uh, if there was a, a yes vote and it came to a vote in the floor of parliament, would you still vote no or would you vote how your electorate or your, I should say your state yeah, yeah. voted or how would you decide how to vote? There, there are a whole lot of issues uh, there and I think it's a bit tough to ask people to nail down 
exactly what they would do in all the circumstances. However, let me be very clear, I have no doubt that if the Australian people vote yes, that the Australian Parliament would give expression to that wish and I also am of the view that if the Australian people vote no, the Parliament would give expression to that wish and I personally would not seek to stand in the way of uh, the um, decision of the Australian people. Uh, you were talking before just about consequences. I had a read of your family uh, World News column, uh, which was, I think, two weeks ago, and it talked about you talked about marriage equality and the phrase love is love and you said that... Um, if it should be given uh, its genuine meaning, then it should be open to all. And you, you said, if this is the standard, then who is to judge the quality, type, validity of any love within families with more than just one other, or indeed, why not the Eiffel Tower? So are you equating the love between two same-sex people with the love a person could have for a, the Eiffel Tower in Paris? The sad thing is I'm not doing it. There are people that are actually saying they want to marry the Eiffel Tower. There are people that say we want a threesome marriage and who are you to judge that marriage should only be between two people? And indeed, that was the, I think, very cogent argument of the Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court, Chief Justice Roberts, in his dissenting judgment, where he pointed out that once you remove that vital element of it being a man-woman thing, and you just say love is love, etc., then basically you open the floodgates to anything. I think our society would not accept uh, people being able to marry the Eiffel Tower, but uh, if you just limit it to people, then there are issues in relation to polyamory. Do you have to go to vote? Hello, it's Mark here, and those bells mean that the senator has had to rush off to go and vote in the chamber, but he very kindly offered Alice and Lane a Kinder Bueno. Kinder Bueno! <laughs> and, um, and Lane also got a bounty bar So while they waited for him. And, you know, let's get back to the interview. How did the vote go, Senator? We lost. Oh, okay. Um, I think when uh, you left the room, we were talking about um, about what you uh, wrote in Family World mm. News, and um, I just wanted to get an idea from you if you think it's a reasonable argument to make that if we change uh, the marriage laws in Australia, that it could lead eventually to people being able to marry uh, objects such as... In your, in your quote, you said the Eiffel Tower, but in Australia, maybe the Harbour Bridge? Why not? Why not? Uh, look, I would like to think that that is uh, taking the argument to the limit, mm -hmm. but the issue is if we are judging this solely on a person's view of what love is to them, and people tell me, how can you judge somebody else's love, then I think you've got to accept that Love is love, and that's the slogan. Having said that, uh, whilst we very much believe that marriage has something to do with love, the Marriage Act does not require it. Mm. All it is is a commitment of a man to a woman and a woman to a man for life to the exclusion of others. And why do we have this marriage institution? 
somebody who is of no Christian faith, like Bertrand Russell, back in 1923, he said the only reason you regulate a relationship like this is because of children. The High Court, in the decision of Russell and Russell, Justice Jacobs, he pointed out the fact that marriage is about children. Mm. When Prince William got married to Kate, the very first thing that the bishop said in relation to the institution of marriage, it was anthropological, it was not theological. And so if you go back uh, as to why... Uh, indeed, in our own Indigenous community, there was a form of marriage and it related to the birth of children. Mm. And it's about children being given the security of knowing who their biological parents are. And there's a great hunger for that if you talk to uh, adopted children um, Children want to know who their biological parents are and these days will have huge impacts in relation to health and the capacity to provide treatments in the future, knowing your genetic heritage. And then, of course, there's the other side, which is that there is a reason we talk about fatherhood and motherhood. They are different. Men and women are different. And having the ability to provide both a male and female role model for the socialisation of the next generation, I think, is ideal. Mm. Having said that, of course, there are single parents that do a good job, um, be they widowed or just single, never having been married. Um, I remember way back when I was a lawyer uh, assisting a lesbian couple uh, in relation to the uh, custody of a child um, from the one of them, a former husband, and uh, in all the circumstances, I had no difficulty in arguing that in all the circumstances, that child would be better off with a lesbian couple. So you argued yeah. on their behalf that yeah. the child should be with the lesbian couple? Yeah, um, rather than with the father and his antecedents, which were just shocking. Mm. Uh, but what we're talking about with marriage is a gold standard and what is the ideal for society, and that is what we ought to celebrate, that is what we ought to be saying is the ideal. And when people don't match the ideal, that's no condemnation of a single parent, a step-parent or whatever, but I think we ought to say, if at all possible we should have a situation where children are brought up by their biological parents with a mum and a dad, male-female role model. But before the Marriage Act was changed to say man and a woman, it said two people. No, no. What, or what did it... What, were no, the, what was uh, the previous wording? Um, marriage was all, always understood to be between a man and a woman and what uh, occurred in 2004, with the support, might I add, of uh, Senator Penny Wong and a few others in the parliament, that uh, it inserted what was the well-established and known and accepted common law definition of marriage. There was uh, another section of the Marriage Act which actually says what the vow, public vow, has to be, that I take the AB as my lawfully wedded husband or wife, um, that that was very clear that it had to be a man and a woman thing. So uh, um, I have heard the argument that somehow the Marriage Act was 
changed. Well, the actual wording of the Act was changed, but was any meaning changed? No, it wasn't. Well, Senator, the name of the podcast is Is It On?, which is a reference to leadership. So what do you think? Is is it on at the moment in Parliament House? Look, I'm sure there are people always sniffing around for the top job, be it in my party, in the National Party, Labor, Greens, wherever. Chances are the only ones that are safe are people like Corey Bernardi and Jackie Lambie, who only have themselves to contest with, and David Lionhelm. But at the end of the day, uh, I think the leadership situation is pretty stable across all the parties. And having said that, I'll undoubtedly be proven wrong very shortly. <laughs> <laughs> well, Senator, my final question for you is just about um, uh, uh, my colleague Lane wrote a story this week about um, how ESL uh, speakers will go voting in the postal survey. Uh, and because, as you mentioned, it had been such a rushed process that uh, for a lot of ESL speakers, they will need to call a hotline which will put them on with an interpreter who will help them figure out how to vote. There's a big contingent of the um, No campaign, which is uh, Chinese religious communities, uh, and I know that there are, you know, the uh, the readership rates in, in Tasmania uh, are quite problematic at the moment. Are you concerned that maybe some ESL uh, speakers will struggle to vote? In fairness, that is always an issue at every federal election and I was Special Minister of State for five years and got to see uh, some of this and that is where a good public communications campaign by both sides and hopefully by the ABS uh, will ensure that those that do not have the command of English as we would like them to have um, will be appropriately uh, provided for to ensure that they can participate in the survey. But the fundamental point in this, and as a migrant myself, I remember babysitters coming to our house so mum and dad could go off to English-speaking classes after work. And I think it is vitally important that any migrant coming to this country I say any migrant, in fairness, there will need to be exceptions, but overwhelmingly any migrant coming to this country uh, should be required to undertake language skills in English so that they can fully participate in Australian democracy, but in Australian social life, economic life, etc. Because having a common language is the ticket to ride, literally, to be able to read a bus timetable or a train mm. uh, uh, timetable, to know what a shop sells by reading the signs. You need that skill, and I think we as a nation need to do a bit more on that. Coming back to the survey, uh, I trust that the appropriate um, information will get out in the various languages and in the various ethnic languages as well. I remember a special minister of state, we advertised government programs and requirements and obligations in the various ethnic uh, newspapers as well, in the ethnic languages, to ensure that we got as much cut through as possible. Senator Erica Betts, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. A pleasure. Thank you. I like big woman. I like big woman. I like big woman. I like big woman. Fans of the American office might be interested to hear, Erica Betts has a wooden duck on his desk. 
Now, during the vote, I had a bit of time to look around and, and that was the one of the things that, that really kind of stuck out at me. So I asked him and he said that he raised ducks as a child and he's always really, really loved ducks. And so his son found this small wooden duck at a school fete and bought it for 20 cents for him over 20 years ago and it sat on his parliamentary desk ever since. Mark, he's been in the Senate since 1994. That is a long time. It's 23 years of loving ducks. <laughs> and um, so the way we end every podcast is a segment we like to call Bin Juice because it's about taking something that probably didn't get as much coverage as it should have because it was very worthy and it was thrown out in the bin and it was at the bottom of the bin and we take it out and have a look at it. So this week, Alice Workman, what is your Bin Juice? Well, there were so many options this week. <laughs> There's too many. There was a lot that happened that wasn't, that wasn't, in that the, wasn't the main stories. Yeah. But my Bin Juice is uh, about a vote that took place in the Senate that everyone missed because of uh, it happened right around the time of Barnaby Joyce's shock announcement. It's that the Greens introduced a bill to increase the amount of money that people on Centrelink welfare payments, so that's New Start and Youth Allowance, get paid. Now, currently, a single person on New Start gets about $38 a day. That's 267 a week. Youth Allowance is about 218 a week. It's below the poverty line. So the Greens wanted to increase the payments by $110 a fortnight. So they want to increase both payments by $110 a fortnight. Now, New Start and Youth Allowance haven't been significantly increased since 1994. That's when Erica Betts joined the Senate. That's 23 years ago. Now, it's a highly politicised issue, giving more money to people on welfare. And we saw that during the debate during the budget around drug testing people on welfare. So no real shock, but the Senate did vote it down. The Labor Party and the government both voted against it. Now, the Labor Party's main issue is about money. They say because there's over 700,000 people on welfare, it would cost too much. I don't know where the money's going to come from. And, of course, the coalition want to drug test people on welfare, so they were definitely not going to go for it. But I thought that was an interesting thing that happened this week, uh, and it got no airtime. And mm. it would have been it would have been great to see more debate from the parliament about, you know, people that actually are under the government's care living below the poverty line. Mm. Mm, interesting, valuable, undercovered. Now, Mark, I understand once again for your binge juice, you have uh, a special guest. Yeah. I thought to myself, uh, it's really important to let everyone know that I will be leaving the country next week. What? Did you not know this? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> and um, I thought to myself, well, what better way to introduce some of the cast of characters that are going to be on the podcast in season two than to bring on someone to actually binge juice himself and talk about <laughs> some sexual thing? Binge juice oh, himself? I don't know. I'm going to go with it. And, um, and so this week, we've brought on our new news editor, Josh Taylor, to. Um, to have a bit of a binge, woo, 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 woo. to yeah, have yeah, a bit yeah. of a have a bit of a yarn. Here's Josh. Uh, have you brought your best Mark DeStefano impression to the podcast? Hi Please. guys. Hi <laughs> guys. I don't. I'm not even really trying it. Yip 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 yip. He does that a lot. <laughs> All right. All right, Josh. Uh, so this is your second week of BuzzFeed. We're forcing you on the podcast. You're going to give us uh, your binge story. What have you got? Yeah. So remember a couple of years ago when George Brandis was all about collecting envelopes and, you know, he didn't want the letters, it's he just not, wanted the envelopes. It's not, yeah, it's not the, it's not what's in the envelope, it's the address on the envelope. There was that amazing uh, Walkley award-winning interview with, with David Spears <sighs> where he stumbled over and, and couldn't really get it out and it was all very confusing. Uh, so anyway, those laws passed the parliament and now um, telecommunications companies like Telstra, Optus, uh, MBN even, now need to keep 
what's called metadata, you know, our call records, IP addresses, where we've been with our phone, things like that for two years. Uh, so this week, uh, every year they're supposed to release a report basically saying how the agencies are using this data and, and how often they're accessing it and stuff like that. Uh, the latest report was released on Monday when, when all the Barnaby Joyce stuff was going on. Uh, and it hasn't really gotten a big look at. And we've, we've had a look at it this week. And what it's shown is that, you know, uh, over 300,000 times uh, the AFP, state police, and a whole bunch of other government agencies were accessing this data as part of their criminal investigations. Not only that, but we actually handed over some of this metadata to China. What? So we're not entirely sure what, but it appears it is the first time that it's actually gone to China. They, they have handed it to Hong Kong before, but... Uh, this seems to be the first time we've actually... Why? Why? Why are we giving metadata to China? So uh, Australia and a bunch of other countries sign into what's called mutual assistance treaties. And that means that uh, if, if a country comes to us and says, we're investigating this crime, give us some, some records that will help us investigate it, we go, yeah, sure. And they'll do the same for us when we do it. It's interesting with China because uh, they're obviously some concerns about human rights mm. and, you know, it, what if it goes to a case that's, that's helping the death penalty and things like that? Mm. Uh, well, it has the, the death penalty as the, as the sentence. Uh, the government has said that they are in compliance with it, but I think that's a bit of a concern. The other thing that's also worth uh, pointing out is the fact that uh, this metadata was, was used to chase journalists' sources. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so as part of the Illeg- legislation... Illegally accessed in some cases... So the the two that were the, the they actually got two warrants in the first year uh, to actually legally access the warrants and mm. and it wasn't the AFP the AFP did access it illegally but that was only earlier this year uh, the the two warrants were given out to the Western Australian Police and that was to access the journalist data thirty three times so we don't know what that was for or what what story it was but you can kind of Google around maybe figure it out for yourself but mm. I, we don't really know that, that's the point the the law makes it illegal to actually. Ask figure out or, yeah. or tell anyone what's going on. My gosh. It, there's a really excellent episode of The Good Wife about uh, the American government uh, giving information to Chinese dissidents and stuff. That uh, It's really interesting if, you, uh, if, that's your, if that's your jam. That's your jam. Excellent bin juice, Josh Taylor. Great to have you on board. Great to be here. <laughs> How good's Josh? <laughs> I love a good great to be here. It's great to be here in the BuzzFeed offices doing a, a political podcast. It's with uh, good to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Ray. Um, so that's all we have time for this week. Yeah, now, packed Mark, episode though. This is your second last episode, but you will be back next week mm-hmm. with a cracker interview with uh, one Annabelle Crabb about yes. her new television show. I love Annabelle Crabb. We also have uh, to tell you that Gallery Whispers will be back, but we've made a ruling, and that is we will no longer whisper the gossip. We will only whisper the words Gallery Whispers. We've heard the feedback. Yeah, we've listened to you guys. Yeah, we, we could hear it because it came in loud. We've, we've listened, but we've ignored everyone that said you should actually fully get rid of it. We've decided to keep it for now. Again, again, this is just you saying people say they want to get rid of it. People, no, lo- people do. People love the segment, okay. Alice. Okay, people do say they want to get rid of it. Anyway, okay, I want to say a big thank you to Josh Taylor, Lane Sainty. Uh, um, I, I think maybe the audience should know that uh, our producer Nicholas Ray is currently in America and maybe that's the reason we're having so many technical issues. <laughs> that's actually issues. a good point. But I think he'll be back soon. Um, Nicola Harvey, Richard James, Peter Holmes and the whole pod team. Also a big thank you to Rode for supplying us with uh, some great microphones and supporting the podcast. You can go to buzzfeed.com slash on or subscribe on iTunes or your favourite podcasting app. Leave us a rating and a review. Send your love to Mark. He's at Mark to Steph. I'm at 
Workman. Alice, she is at Lane Sainty. Josh, you are at something Josh weird. <laughs> what is it? Josh Say it on the thing. Josh Gnosis. Now, what does that mean? Uh, it's a long story. It just basically means like knowledge. It's a Buffy joke, isn't it's, it? No, it's a it's a uh, Hedwig and the Angry Inch joke. Okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> that, is, that is a joke. <laughs> um, finally, Mark, for the second last time, I have to ask. Ooh. Is it on? It's not on. It's not on! <laughs> I don't know why we're doing so much yelling off mic t- today. I feel like I'm taking my I cues I love an off mic yell. Um, my, um, uh, 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 a listener yes. uh, that lives overseas told me that she loves it when I say, Rack off! <laughs> off mic. <laughs> that was for you, Maisie. Uh, anyway, so um, that's it. Uh, that's all we have time for. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Uh, bye. Bye, bye, bye. Bye. <laughs>